Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brethren, having the boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as, the, as is the manner of son, some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, let's have a word of prayer. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you for uh, just the message that, that it gives us, for the hope that it gives us. Lord, I thank you for the pictures that you've given us to help us to understand what it means to have a relationship with you. And I pray that as we look at, at some of these pictures, Father, that it would be clear to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm a fan of art galleries. I'm not a big fan of art galleries, just, you know, a general fan of art galleries. And uh, I, I like to see the progression of art through the years. Like, you see it way back in the Stone Ages or whatever. And then it progresses, and you can see changes and, and themes and kind of structure and ways that they create art. But the thing that I like most about going to an art gallery is after I read the little placard that's next to the, to the piece, I like to step back and just, uh, with my chin in my hands, say to the person next to me, what do you think of his use of colors? <laughs> and it's like, uh, well, well, we can all appreciate art, right? Even if we don't fully understand it, even if we look at it and go, that's called art, right? <laughs> even in those situations, we can appreciate it because there's a meaning behind it. There's a purpose behind it. And that piece of art to that artist, is like their life. It's everything that comes into them, right? Well, pictures have their limitations, too. How many of you have ever seen the Colosseum? Okay, we got a couple, good. Um, now, let me ask that question again. How many of you have seen the Colosseum? Ah, see? Okay, now, if, if you were to leave here and uh, a friend would ask you that same question, have you ever seen the Colosseum? Would you feel comfortable saying to him after you saw this, oh yeah, yeah, I've seen it. Been there, done that, no problem. No, right? That's a limitation of a picture of an object that represents something else. There's more to it. It's, it points us to that. It makes us want to pack our bags, right? It makes us want to get on a plane and go and maybe see the real thing. It's kind of like that with grandparents, too. Have you ever seen a grandparent who like, has all the pictures of their grandkids in their wallets? And they go, yep, yep, and it comes down to about there, right? Well, what if you told that grandparent, well, I am so glad you get to see your grandkids every day 
That must save a lot on gas money. You don't have to go and travel. and You just look at the pictures. Do you think the grandparent is going to be satisfied with that? No. No? Right? They want to see you, right? Yeah. There's a limitation to a picture. But that picture gives us a yearning for the real thing, doesn't it? It makes you want to, to pack your bags and go. Well, the Bible is full of pictures. We celebrated one of them tonight, the Lord's Supper, the picture of of Christ's death, His sacrifice on the cross for us, His shedding of His blood and His body for us. But it doesn't accomplish what Christ's sacrifice accomplished, right? By taking in these elements doesn't mean, oh, God's work is done in me. No, it's... It's a picture. It's an illustration. It points to Christ and what he did on the cross. Next week, we're going to have some baptisms. That's another picture. When it's, it's an amazing picture of what God has done in our lives, the salvation that only he brings. Now, when that person goes under and comes back up, that wasn't the point of their salvation. That water had nothing to do with their salvation. Why? Because it was a picture. It was an illustration. It was pointing us towards the real thing, wasn't it? It was pointing us to salvation, to the one who brings salvation. It illustrates his death, burial, and resurrection, and the new life that occurs in our our hearts and lives, right? We're going to look at another picture today. We're going to focus on this one. We're going to look at the picture of the temple. And really, God has given us the picture of the temple to help us understand who he is. As you look at the temple, I want to direct your attention to to a few features of the temple. First is the Holy of Holies. It illustrates God's presence among us. You know, it was the focal point of the entire temple. It was the whole purpose Why the temple existed was that room, that space. It was the place where God visibly uh, uh, evidenced his presence to all of Israel. He called it his dwelling place or his sanctuary, the place where he could be found, the, the picture that they could see that would assure them of his presence with them. And it really seems like mankind has a built-in desire to be on good terms with God. The religions of the world pursue that goal with a passion. You see it everywhere. People trying to fix their relationship with God. You can also see it in the passion that's found at the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall. It's, It's the only standing remains of the Temple Mount. And Jewish men cry out to God with their knees. You can see them bowing back and forth, back and forth, with their intense passion and desire to connect with God. You can see in those cracks pieces of paper that have been stuffed there, that have been packed into those walls, that are people's cries out to God to see Him act. We all have this desire to be in the presence of God to be in the place where we can see God doing amazing things. It's our desire 
to communicate our hearts to God. And, and what better way would that be than to be in His presence, in, in the Holy of Holies? That's where God is. That's where He dwells. I want to be there. How incredible it is that God would want to dwell with man. And the temple was, was that visible picture that God was present with man, that God had an interest in humanity. And that's a powerful thing, but it's also a terrifying thing. God is described in Isaiah chapter 6 as holy, holy, holy. The song that we sang talked about how holy God is, how perfect He is, how without sin, how much without sin He is. To the nth degree, God is holy. And I'm not. Leviticus 11.44, Leviticus 19.2, Leviticus 20, verse 7, and 1 Peter 1, 5 and, uh, 15 and 16 all have this idea that declares to us, be holy because I'm holy. That's what God says. Be holy because I am holy. And that's what this, this next feature of the temple is all about. It's the curtain or the veil. And it pictures that separation that must happen between God and man because of our unholiness. It was a heavy curtain that, that stood at the entrance of the Holy of Holies. And it separated Israel from the presence of God. It wasn't that, that decorative sheer curtain that you might have at home. It didn't let any light in. It was impenetrable. And even uh, during the life of Christ, there were two curtains. There was one curtain, then a space, then another curtain. And the purpose of that was to say, you're not even getting a peek. You can't because of who we are. It was a clear picture that humanity and God were separate. And it wasn't that that God separated himself from us. It was that we, because of our sin, have brought about that separation. Psalm 130, verse 3 says, If you, Lord, should mark our iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? If you, God, were up in heaven, and every time I sinned, make a mark. Oh, there he goes again. Ah, okay, are you going to stop now? No, oh, you're still sinning. Okay, what's... If he were to do that, who could stand? The answer is, none of us. Certainly not me. I can't stand in his presence the way that I am. And that's the purpose of the next feature of the temple. It's the altar and the sacrifice. Outside of the curtain was a place where only the priest could come. And outside of that room was the altar for sacrifices. God didn't leave Israel without a way to come into his presence. The picture of the sacrifice communicated the seriousness of our offense against God and against each other. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages, for the payment, for the penalty, for the wages of sin is death. And it's a gruesome picture of the result of our actions. An animal who was innocent, who was perfect in every way, had nothing to do with my sin, 
I didn't do anything to it. It didn't do anything to me. Is being killed because I messed up. We see the consequences of our sin played out in our lives every day, don't we? Things just aren't right in the world. People are killing and stealing and lying and cheating and harming those we love. We suffer the consequences of the sins of others, don't we? As bad as that is, it's we who are the ones who are doing the killing and the stealing and the lying and the cheating and the harming of those around us, including the ones that we claim to love. We, ba- uh, we battle daily with the consequences of our decisions and mistakes. We see it all around us. And all that, and it's, it's a limited way that we see the consequences of sin. Because if we truly could see all the consequences that sin brings, the worst injustices that we see wouldn't even be on the list. Because sin completely devastates. It completely destroys. It completely sucks the life out of you and me. That's the problem. We have no life. So we can see why God would have to be separate from that. A God who is holy and perfect and pure has to be separate from that thing that is stained and dirty and terrible. But he provides us the picture of the temple so that we'll understand that there's hope. And what's amazing is that God never leaves us without hope. That's the one truth you find in Scripture over and over and over again. He never leaves us without hope. So once per year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest, the priests of priests, so to speak, was allowed to enter into that holy place. And he was required to go through a process of ceremonial cleansing as well as true personal inward cleansing, he would bring before the Lord in that most holy place evidence of the sacrifice. He would bring the blood. And that blood would be sprinkled before the presence of the Lord. And that high priest was an advocate for the people. He was a mediator, a go-between, someone who came between us, our sin, and God. But, like I said before, it's just a picture. And you know, we're standing with our chin in our hands looking at the picture. And, and we kind of understand it. We kind of see some things that, that we've just looked at. You know, the, we have this goal of wanting a relationship with God. We have this problem of sin. And we have no solution. A solution that, that was temporary at best. And we try to figure it out. Do you think that it would be helpful when you were standing and looking at a piece of art and really wondering what was going on there? If the artist was standing next to you? And when you said, man, I really don't get this. Don't you think the artist could tell you? Right? He could come to you and he could say, look, let me explain this. Let me show you what it's all about. 
That's exactly what happens. That's exactly what's going on, is that God has given us a picture of the temple, not only to show us who he is, but to show us the real thing. There's a heart to this temple. There's a purpose. There's a reason why people, year after year after year, came into that temple and brought sacrifices before God. It's a reflection of the heavenly temple. It's the permanent dwelling place of God that this earthly temple is a picture of. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5 says, These things serve as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, he said, uh, God said, See or, or make sure that you make all things according to the pattern that was shown before you on the mountain. Why? Because it's important. It, it needs to be an accurate portrayal. God said, make sure that this is right. Follow my instructions because this is a picture. This means something. This isn't just a, a house. This is something that is, is at the center of my plan for your life. It's a picture of that. Let's look at our text in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. It says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter into the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. We talked about the problems that keep us from God's presence, that keep us from having a relationship with him. And now, suddenly, this verse tells us that we're standing in the very presence of God. We're standing in the holiest place. <laughs> How can that be? How is that possible? Not only that, it, it doesn't say we're just standing there. It says we should come before his throne with confidence, with boldness, not cowering, not afraid, but with confidence that says, I'm supposed to be here. I belong in the presence of God. I don't know about you, but... I would never have that kind of confidence if it wasn't for God telling me that it was okay, that it was right. Because I know who I am. How did it happen? How is that possible? That we could go from a complete separation between us and God to a place where we're standing in the Holy of Holies, the place that only, even the high priest only went into once a year. We're standing there, we're dwelling there, we're being there in the presence of God. These, these verses, in these verses, are packed the entire story of salvation. It's really amazing. The story of, of how we went from being separated from God to a relationship with God and standing boldly in His presence. The short answer is Jesus. It's what the temple was all about. It's what the temple pictured, pointed to, was fulfilled in, that's why the temple existed, not for itself, but because of Jesus. It pointed to Jesus all along. And as we stand with him in the Holy of Holies, as we take a look at the picture of the temple, he shows us what it's all about. He shows us that Christ is the sacrifice. If you go back to, to uh, verse 1 in chapter 10, 
It says, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year after year, make those who approach perfect. Those sacrifices that were offered in the temple, they were not the thing that made them perfect and pure before God. The animal sacrifices didn't take away their sin. It pointed to the only one who ever could. And that was Jesus. And with this sacrifice, he begins or or he inaugurates or he consecrates this new and living way. And it's not the dead animals that are still left dead. It's a living God. One who sacrificed himself and is now raised and is now seated at the right hand of God. That's powerful. That's amazing. He's alive. Look in verses 9 and 10 in chapter 10. It says, Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. And verse 10, By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Christ was the sacrifice. Christ was what all those sacrifices were pointing towards and indicating and being a picture of. Not only is Christ a sacrifice, but he removes the curtain. He tears it down. The Gospels record an amazing story in Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one, in Mark fifteen thirty-eight, and in Luke twenty-three forty-five. At the death of Christ, that curtain, the thing that pictured that separation between us and God, was torn open from top to bottom. It completely exposed the holy place that we can enter into boldly. It wasn't the earthly picture. It wasn't just the earthly picture, but a heavenly reality. When that veil was torn in the temple that day, it pictured the opening of the gates of heaven, the gates of the heavenly temple, saying, come on in. This is where you can dwell. This is where you can be. This is where you can live. Not only is Christ a sacrifice, not only does he tear that curtain, but he acts as our high priest. The priest of priests, well, this one's even better. Christ uh, stands before God having all the sacrifice for sin that was necessary taken care of. Instead of coming back year after year after year, there was no need for it anymore. There was no purpose in it anymore because of Christ, because of what he did, because of his powerful sacrifice and resurrection. Jesus did it in a permanent way. Look at verse 10, uh, verse 12 in chapter 10. But this man, this Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, sat down at the right hand of God. He said, I don't need to make any more sacrifice for sin. I'm done because I've paid for it. The past, the present, the future. My sins before I was saved, my sins after I was saved, he took all of those upon himself and he was the perfect sacrifice. And not only that, but 
He remains at the right hand of God. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, remember, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The Father is at the right hand of God, reminding us that He has paid the penalty for our sin. There's nothing that, that will hinder us from entering that relationship with us and God. Being in His presence. How incredible. But it's not done yet. Because after the artist tells us what it means, after he tells us the, the picture, what, what the heart of that picture is, we don't just walk away. We don't just say, well, that was interesting. You know, people say that art changes you. But in this case, it's the artist who wants to change you. God has given us the picture of the temple to change us completely. I mean, we could be standing outside of that temple. That curtain could be torn that entryway into the Holy of Holies could be wide open. But if we don't step forward, if we don't take hold of what Christ has provided, what good is it? We're failing to be in the presence of God for no reason. Access to God has been granted. We have access to the presence of the Almighty God. What are we going to do about it? Look at verse 22. It says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. How amazing to have access to God. And he says, Draw near. Come close. Take advantage of it. That's what my sacrifice was all about. On a much smaller scale, if, if you were a software developer and Bill Gates or Steve Jobs, whichever one you prefer, you Apple, IBM people can deal with it later, but if they said to you, I'm going to give you full access to my software, I'm going to give you uh, full access to my company, actually, I'm going to give you full access to my home, uh, you can spend as much time as you want playing with my toys that I've created. And, and you can learn how to be successful at what you do. I'll help you. I'm at your disposal. You can pick up the phone anytime and call me. You can stop by and say hello. We'll spend days, months, and years working together to make sure that your software works and is marketable. And then I'll buy you out. But anyway, what do you think would happen? Do you think that I would sit in my apartment and say, well, I appreciate it, but uh, I think I got some work to do. I got some better things to do. No. We'd draw close. We'd come near. We would pull up our chair and say, okay, man, this is awesome. For you to help me? Who am I? This is amazing. Draw close. This is where I want to stay. In John 15:5, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, or apart from me, you can do nothing. God has an intense desire for you to abide with him. 
spend time with me. And really, it's the only way that we're going to have true purpose in life. Lord, I just want to be in your presence. He's given us the tools to help us to do that. He's given us his word. He's given us his spirit. He's given us power and prayer. And those are just some of the things that he's equipped us with. Don't let this opportunity pass you by, he says. Draw near to me. Be close to me. Spend time with him. Dwell in his presence. Access has been granted. Let's get on with it. Look at verse 23. In verse 22, he tells us to draw near. In verse 23, he says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. This scripture declares that since we've seen and understood what the picture of the temple is all about, we can trust the salvation that he gives. He said that Christ was the provision for our sin. He said that trusting in Christ would take care of that penalty for sin. I believe him. I'm going to take him at his word. I'm going to believe. I'm going to trust all of his promises. Not just for salvation, but all across the board. All the promises that are given to us in God's word, we can trust. We can rely on. We can say, yep, I know it's true. I know it's going to happen in my life. Romans 10, 10 and 11 says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. I'll never have to say, Oops, I, I guess we were wrong on that one. Let's go back and start over. I, we never, will never be put to shame. Our faces will never turn red when someone says, Oh, your God failed you. Because it will never happen. We can always rely on what God has done for us and what he's told us he'll do. And you know, sometimes it's a learning process. It's like learning to repel down the side of a mountain. You have to rely on your equipment. You don't trust the equipment or, or even the, the instructor who's there to guide you. You have a sense of fear and a loss of control as you back slowly to the edge of that mountain. But you finally take the instructor at his word, and you fall backwards. And wow, guess what happens? Suddenly, you're doing it. There you are on the side of the mountain, enjoying everything that this guy told you you'd be enjoying. You had to trust him on it. So the next time you go repelling, you're not going to have those same fears. You uh, have experienced the security of the equipment and you have greater trust in that guide. So when that gets kind of easy, the next time, your instructor is going to urge you to do a more challenging course, right? To go someplace you haven't been before, to try something that's going to push you a little bit more. And do we get angry at him? Well, we might, right? We might say, I don't want to do that. That's too hard. But then we realize it's for our own good. It's for our own benefit. It's for our own well-being. And it's so that we can experience things that we've never experienced before. And that's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to take you to, to a place that you have never experienced before. He wants to bring you through a struggle and have victory in a way that you have never had before. You can trust Him. When you put your trust in Him, 
When you say, I'm going to rely on you for this, he's going to bring you through. No question. Hebrews chapter 6, 19 says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. It enters into that holy of holies. We can rely and be secure because of him, because of his sacrifice. And because of the reality of this picture, God calls us to trust him. We have the opportunity to trust God, to believe what he says will happen in our lives. He's faithful. Let's look at verses 24 and 25. It says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. As each one of us comes into the presence of God, something amazing happens. We realize that we're not alone. We realize that others are enjoying His presence as well. And as we draw closer to God's presence, we draw closer to each other. That's what the body of Christ is all about. It's another picture to describe this reality, to describe the coming together of minds, so to speak, to be able to to worship in the same place, to be able to be in His presence together. He calls it His body. In Ephesians 5, 29 and 30, He says, For no one ever hated His own flesh or His own body, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. The point is that as the body of Christ, we're nourished and cherished by God. Not only that, but it's our opportunity to nourish and cherish each other, to work together, to encourage, to strengthen each other toward a common goal. It's, it's our privilege to see how we can bring others closer to God, not closer to, to religion or philosophy, but closer to that relationship with Him, closer to trusting Christ as the Savior of their lives. It's not just about being here. It's about having a home here with other believers, living in the presence of God. I have six nephews and one niece. Two of them are back in the nursery tonight. And I I don't get to see them all the time. But I've made a habit that every time I do see them, I'll hold out my arms for a hug. And when they hug me, I'll hold them tight and I'll say, you know what? And I'll go, what? I love you. Do you know why I do that? It's not because they always listen to me. I promise. It's not because they're perfect kids. It's not because they need an update on, uh, on whether I love them today or not. It's so it's burned into their minds that they'll, they'll never forget whether I'm visibly with them or not that someone loves them. And not just anyone, me. I love them. It's so they never have to wonder. 
That's why God has saved these pictures for us. They are reminders of His love. They're ways that God wraps His arms around us and says, Hey, you know what? I love you. They're reminders that we have access to Him through Jesus. The temple that we've been talking about was destroyed in 70 AD. But because of Christ, that picture fulfilled its purpose. It pointed all of humanity to Him as the perfect sacrifice for sin. And after His resurrection, He ascended into heaven. But He's given us, He's given humanity, another picture, another reflection that points to Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, Don't you know that your body is the temple or dwelling place of the Holy Spirit who is in you? We are a picture of the presence of God. And as the world stands back and looks at this piece of art or piece of work, one of the two, we can be confusing at times. We can we may not be the best representatives of the reality of who God is and what He has done for us. But our purpose is not to hold their attention. It's to point them to the artist. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for Your Word. I thank You for the picture of the temple. Lord, but even more, I thank You for what Christ did for me. He took that picture of the temple and he was the reality. He was that thing that the temple was pointing to. The meaning behind it was Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts, that we would be a reflection of your presence in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you're here tonight and you've heard all of this. You say, I haven't even drawn near. I didn't even know that there was something standing between me and God. Maybe you did know that something was standing between you and God. But did you know that Christ was the sacrifice? He paid the penalty so that you can walk boldly into the Holy of Holies. You can dwell in the presence of God. How amazing. Do something with that. Walk in, draw near. Sometimes we may be hanging out around the presence of God, but maybe we need to make a more concerted effort to really dwell with Him, to abide with Him, to be on the same page with Him. Don't let this opportunity go by. He's given us the opportunity to draw close. He's also given us the opportunity to rely on Him, with any situation, with any difficulty that you have in your life. You know, I'm not always reliable. 
but God is. And He wants to be your rock. He wants to be the anchor in your life. Bring your need to Him. Join together with Him. Join together with people who are in the presence of God, growing together, desiring to serve one another, desiring to nourish each other, to help each other. Man, what a great opportunity that we have to be here, to be learning together, growing together, and serving together. If one of those are descriptive of the decision that you need to make tonight, I'm going to be down front. And as we sing, just step out. Walk towards the presence of God for your life.